Hi guys, welcome back to Wild Creek Stories. I'm Craig. And I'm Carolina. And we've got a bit of an interesting uh, episode today. We are taking a bit of a different approach. Uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, rhino poaching as a whole. And we're going to listen to Ari van Dierwinter from the Rhino Orphanage talk to us a little bit about rhino poaching and how the rhino orphanage that he owns and runs works. So just a little bit of a background on what we had been doing or why we're having Ari on is we were at the Rhino Orphanage uh, on behalf of Rhino Whiskey uh, for a, we can call it a site visit, getting a bit of brand exposure for both the orphanage and uh, the uh, Rhino Whiskey itself, weren't we? Yes, exactly. So we went there for like a 24 hour uh, Yeah, it was kind of like a, yeah. Like a, what does it look like in the eyes of an employee at the Rhino Orphanage? Yes, exactly. And we got to join them on their day-to-day tasks. And uh, those of you who follow us on social media have seen us share uh, what that was all about and what it was like. And I will be posting a YouTube video as well uh, about it later, but it's just being edited at the moment. It was amazing. It was really an amazing experience. I mean, you know, taking taking what these people actually do and how much they go through to take care of these orphaned rhinos. So when we say orphaned rhinos, we talk about rhinos that have been, that have lost their mothers either through poaching or abandonment. So not a lot of rhino calves are abandoned by their mothers, but they, it does happen. And at this point, like if you took 10, 15 years ago, an abandoned rhino calf would be like, okay, well, you know, that that's, that's fine. That's nature's way. What, what happens must happen. But nowadays, the genetics are becoming so vital that even an abandoned calf, even it's a natural happening, they they will go out and save it because the genetics are so vital to the survival of the species. Yeah, and this is why we think it's so important to share about the Iran Orphanage and the incredible work that they are doing because... Also from, you know, experience coming from overseas and talking to a lot of people who maybe come from America or Europe, the rhino poaching crisis that we are in isn't that well known overseas. Yeah, globally it's not. And it's very unfortunate because I think people are trying hard to, you know, get donations because that is what will help at the end of the day and create awareness around this. But I get a lot of people telling me, and I also know from personal experience, you know, uh, coming from overseas and how much I knew about it before I came to South Africa, uh, that it isn't spoken about enough. And not enough people actually know about this. And a lot of people tell me that, wow, I had no idea. Then obviously there is also a lot of people who do know and are very passionate about this and are trying to spread awareness overseas as well. But I'm just saying that's why we, we're trying to get the message out there. Yeah, I think I think it's it's just it, the more exposure that then that the rhino crisis has because you know it is it's there like the species is on the brink of extinction and i mean we don't have a lot of these animals left and uh, if you take my career back when i started um you would see rhino i would say you were almost depending on where you were you were guaranteed a rhino sighting if you if you had guests for three or four days you were guaranteed multiple but like in most of the places i worked you would see rhino every drive 10, 12 years ago. Now you'll have clients for three, four days and the chances of seeing rhino are minimal. 
So what's coming up now, guys, is like we mentioned in the beginning of the pod, we're not going to be doing too much talking, myself and Carolina. We had an interview with Ari van Deventer, who I mentioned earlier was the founder and owner of the Rhino Orphanage, the original and first Rhino Orphanage in South Africa. And he shared with us quite a few interesting stories. Um, and I think it's really important for you guys to hear this interview. <laughs> All right. I think one thing that people don't realize was that the southern white rhino was officially declared extinct in 1896. They were gone. There were none left. That's what, that's what everybody thought. We now know, you know, the northern white rhino basically extinct because there's only two females left. The male had to be euthanized. It was their father. They've got sperm of him. There's a lot of people working very hard to try and figure out exactly when. You know, about artificial insemination, it's all about timing. You've got to be 1,000% correct. And they still haven't found, with, with, with cattle, we know exactly. But there's a lot of people, a lot of vets working very hard trying to f get that exactly right. Although, there's a very good chance. Because what happened was, Johan Marais, I don't know if you know, do you know Dr. Johan Marais? He came to me and he said to me, there... There's some of the old Magogos in the southern parts of Sudan that said that they've seen rhinos. And some of the herd boys said they've seen them. So they went up with a whole mission, but they only had a, a fixed plane, a fixed uh, a wing plane. They didn't have a helicopter. And they found the tracks. They found tracks. They had interviews with them, and they, they said, they swear, they've seen more of them. They've seen them. Now, last year, last year. So the biggest issue was they couldn't follow the tracks because they didn't have a proper tracker. So I still said to him, listen, organize your thing. I'll send somebody with you that will die on that spur. You won't quit. I don't know if you know Lee Gutteridge. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. no, he's a very good friend of mine. Lee Gutteridge, they will not stop him. He will track you back to your mother. Yeah. That's how Yeah. And he will find them. He'll go and go and go and go till he dies. But he will sleep on there and yeah. go and go. So there might be. But to get back to it, the southern white rhino was officially declared extinct. And in, in 1911, an American uh, trophy hunter came to the northern parts of KwaZulu-Natal and Fulu's area to hunt a black rhino, because there were still black rhinos. And eventually they went on this hunting expedition, cut a long story short, they shot this rhino. And when they got to it, they said, uh -oh. this is not a, white, a black rhino, it's a white rhino. And they sent the then Natal Parks Board, sent people in... And they came, went looking and they crisscrossed their whole area on foot and they found a part, the crash of 21 white rhinos. 
and they started a project that lasted for many years that was eventually taken over by Dr. Ian Player. You know Dr. Ian Player, he passed away as well, unfortunately. He's the brother of Gary Player, the famous golfer. And Dr. Ian Player and people like Spud Ludbrook and those boys pushed that from 21 to when the poaching pandemic started in South Africa, we had more or less 24,000 white rhinos. How many have we still got left? Nobody knows. I've got no idea. I don't know if you can guess. I, uh, Kruger has lost 80% of their population. Yeah. And now people go there for a week, two weeks, they don't nah. see it. They've lost. It, it, it's, we're on the, it's on the brink of extinction. We're losing a species. What happened, you must remember, there's always been poaching in Southern Africa. Remember, Southern Africa was home to plus minus 93% of all white rhinos on the planet. I'm talking about southern white rhino, Ceratotherium simum, the, you know, what we have here. So it is just, there was always a, a few. We lost every year. We lost 10. Then if you go through the statistics, you will see it's eight this year, then 11, and then 10. And so, you know, there was always a little bit. Because remember, rhino horn has always been part of traditional Chinese medicine. In China, you have universities and medical schools teaching traditional Chinese, only traditional Chinese medicine, and others Western medicine. And the Chinese government gives bursaries away in the zillions to students who wants to study traditional Chinese medicine. Now, it's always been part. It's a rubbish story this, that it's an aphrodisiac and things like that. It was never like a, never. They used it for all kinds of ailments, from colds and flu, even hangovers. They used it for everything up to 2010. A Vietnamese cabinet minister announced publicly that he was cured of prost his prostate cancer by using Rhinon. So what happened? It became the miracle cure for cancer in the Far East. And not only that. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it, it just... almost like a drug that people thought would fix anything. Yeah. But what made it escalate unbelievably was this thing of it's the miracle cure for cancer in the Far East now, all of a sudden. And the price of rhino horn went through the roof. Yeah. Rhino horn at the moment is more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than heroin per kilo. So what happens? Who gets involved? organized crime. Yeah. The minute th there's a lot of money going around organized crime. So it's not what people think. There's three or four guys sitting around a fire in Mozambique and deciding, hell, we're going to go tomorrow and shoot a rhino. It not. It's run by organized crime. Yeah. It's run by people. In South Africa, the government, not all of them, but there's government officials involved in this. We've had wildlife vets involved in it. I mean, I experienced it personally. 
I was uh, I was selling buffalo uh, heifers, and we waited for the vet, and he and he, he was late, and I kept phoning, and he and he didn't answer. And I couldn't understand what the hell was going on because everybody was waiting. The helicopter was there. We were just wait. We were just waiting for the vet. Then eventually he rushed in there, and, and, and I could see he was flabbergasted. And I said, "What the hell's going on?" He said, "No." He stopped at the practice that morning to get all his stuff, and the, it was just cops everywhere. They arrested these two partners because they were involved. Volts, the biggest oh. shyster God's ever put breath into. He's got a thousand one hundred and seventy-four charges against him of everything: illegal rhino uh, possession of rhino, illegal selling of rhino, racketeering. There is nothing that they haven't charged him with. It's twelve years, and he still hasn't been in court. They caught him last year, end of last year again. He used to go to all the auctions in South Africa. He bought rhinos. Take them to his farm, shoot them. Take the horn off, bury the carcasses, and then get the horn, smuggle the horn out. He's been doing it for twelve. Like after they caught him, he was in. He was in court with with his two vets and everything. It's twelve years. Nothing has happened. Absolutely nothing. So it is run by. It, it's unfortunately run by organized crime. It is in, in, in South Africa, if you speak to the Green Hawks, uh, the guys that do all the wildlife crime, mm -hmm. they say that on the ground, they catch, we catch poachers on the ground every day. But they get shot or they go to friggin' jail and there's a million waiting for their jobs. Uh, but the minute that they all say to you, they when they start an uh, investigation, they go up and up and up, and suddenly all the doors close. And you can't go any further. Then you get too close to certain people. I mean, cabinet ministers in South Africa was freaking caught red-handed. Nothing happened to them. Nothing. Chiefs of police. Have been yeah. Uh, yeah. Malanga, they had, um, yeah. Recently, they had uh, last year. They had. Uh, they stopped a police minister in a roadblock and they were just about to let him go because he was in um, casual clothes. He wasn't in uniform. He showed him their badge and he was like, and they were like, okay, sorry, sir, you can go. And one of the cops said, ah, we're checking every vehicle. Doesn't matter if you're a policeman. Pol the, this Good for that police cop. said, no, 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 like, come on, guys, what are you doing? I said, oh, sorry, sir, you're off duty. Mm. When you're off duty, you're a civilian. Um, and they searched his car, and in in a la in an, in like one of these more moderate Land Rovers, there's these these fancy Land Rovers, these Discovery Series Land Rovers. You, your spare wheel comes in the back, but there's a big opening where the spare wheel goes. It was filled from the bottom up with cash. It was there, and they found oh. that, and it was it was linked to Rhino Horn, oh, wow. and um, he had just he had been paid giving the Rhino Horn, and actually later that day in the roadblock they found. Because now all of a sudden they were like, right, cool, we've got a lead. Later that day, in the same roadblock, they found the guy smuggling the rhino. Can you talk a little bit about who is, I know you've told us already, but yeah. just for the video, who, this, they're making it radioactive. So it's, yeah, it's, we yeah, it's, uh, it's a guy, Professor 
uh, Larkin at the University of Edwardesrand in, 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 in Joburg. He's a nuclear physicist, but he's done the research with a lot of other scientists all over the world to get this thing of making the rhino horn radioactive, to put a radioactive isotope in the rhino horn so the horn is radioactive. Now, the once that horn is radioactive, that thing is useless. You can't take it anywhere. You can't, you can't move it. Because because of the fear that man's got for nuclear bombs and anything that's radioactive, there are every there is so many monitors in the, on this planet picking up radioactivity. Yeah. You can't go anywhere with it. And the thing is, according to international law, if you get caught with any radioactive material, you get charged with international terrorism and the minimum sentence forty years. If you're in the wrong country, they'll freaking string you up or shoot you, yeah. cut your head off or whatever, I don't know, depending on where you are. Uh, so it is, for us, it is a chance. They did, uh, Lorinda Hearn from Rhino Line in Krugersdorp, they tried to poison the horns. I don't know if you knew that thing that they tried. But the problem is, when she, she came, uh, down when we were at the bottom, she came there and spoke to us about, and Alvet, the first thing he said, he said, it, it, it cannot penetrate the horn. Mm -hmm. Nothing can, because the live horn is like perspex. It's like glass. Okay. If you cut the horn off and you leave it, it starts deteriorating yes. and it becomes porous. Yeah, yeah, and, and then things can go in there. But the live horn, there's no way. It's like freaking glass. So what happened was they, they uh, so-called, they drilled holes and they under the massive pressure. They wanted to put this poison in the horn, but it just didn't work. This didn't work because it, it couldn't penetrate. But they tested it on dead horn. And never on live horn, because how are you going to do it? Yeah. And so it... It just didn't work. So we hope for the best that this story of making it radioactive can work. Isotope in the horn is not an issue, okay. apparently. We'll see when it gets here. It's just the one, the person putting it in needs to be very well trained because they you you handling radioactive material so you're gonna wear all you're gonna look like a spaceman or something i don't know i haven't I've, I've and you guys are doing this here testing it here yeah yeah we're gonna do it here at the end of the month well wow, that's so crazy yeah it's, it's actually an incredible it's an incredible turning point for for conservation and i think it's you know um if this is successful it will be a game changer. It'll be a massive, massive, massive game changer. Uh, because, as Ari mentioned, um, radioactivity is basically every mm. single port of entry yeah, into uh, out of a country it globally. Doesn't matter how third world you are. They've got those monitors there. Malawi, which is the most third world of third world countries, yeah. has radioactive monitors. So these horns, if they are um, implanted with these 
It's almost like, a, let's call it a chip, am I right? It's a little... Uh, it, uh, it is, a, it's an isotope and that releases the radioactivity, which makes the horn radioactive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can take the isotope out, but, it's but then it's already radioactive. No. They tested it. Now I've been doing it for years now. Oh, they, oh, yeah. But it's more, but it's more about not to harm, wanting to harm people and the population as much as we do to an extent to send a message that this is what's happening to the population. You know, it's if you have such a high dosage in that can negatively number one impact the rhino and Im impact the global population. Mm -hmm. But you want it just to be enough that it gets picked up by sensors at border posts and ports of entry and yeah, yeah. It's very, very difficult to get hold of rhino horn at the moment. In China, in Vietnam, they stockpiling. So why are they stockpiling? Because they their intention is we gotta get that if we could get it to become extinct, can you imagine what rhino horn is gonna be worth? That's going to be scary. It's running 115,000 US dollars in the end market, black market, 115,000 US a kilo. It's compressed, it's compressed air. It's, what, it's all it is. It's, it's nothing else. It's keratin. Same, you can chew your hair, you chew your nails. It's, it's, it's the same freaking story. But it is like anything in the world. Why would people sell drugs? Because they make money out of it. That's all it is. It's money. It's masses and masses of money. Money is the root of all evil. Supply and demand. Yeah. That's, that's what and it, it's, the it's world just, works on. It. Yeah. Demand, legal or in, illegal, yeah. people will supply that demand. But all of a sudden, if you have, if you have this radioactivity that's going around with these radioactive isotopes in the, and this horn is suddenly in the global population finds out, wow, all wild rhinos' horns now have um, are infected with radioactivity. And you cut that off because basically what happens is once you once you're caught with radioactive materials, that's a that's international terrorism. What what was the sentence for that? Forty years. Forty years immediately. You're charged with international terrorism. Well, that's a really good idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Who, uh, uh, I think it, I mean, uh, yeah, it, 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 it just makes it, we hope. We'll it makes know. it that much more difficult, though, Ari. That yeah, the thing difficult. is this, we, you must make it so difficult for them that it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. That is the big issue. It must not be worth it anymore. And, 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 and uh, you need to rip everything. But uh, will it happen? Don't know. The thing is, what people don't realize, the, the cruelty that goes with it. How, how cruel it is. I mean, we go through it every now and again. And we, the things we've seen and experienced are just, it's scary. That dead mother with a little baby trying to, pushing against the mother, trying to drink, can't understand what is going on but what actually happened was that some of these animals went through hell and back because what they did 
in the old days they used assault rifles, you know, military assault rifles, and a lot of them survived the attacks because of the fact that those things doesn't penetrate deep enough to kill a rhino. Mm. But what the thing is, what is the what the worst of the worst of the worst is, is that they then they started using high caliber hunting rifles. Larger and larger calibers. Now your problem with that is the bang of when you pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And they put all kinds of friggin' homemade silences, but any projectile that travels faster than the sound than the speed of sound, you can't muffle. You know, it's only in movies that you go poof, 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 and yeah. they shoot people with silences and go poof, poof, poof. The minute the projectile, that bullet travels faster than the uh, speed of sound, you'll have that crack. And the crack is when it goes through uh, sound the sound barrier. So you can't muffle it. And what they then decided is then they used the same drugs that the vets used. The immobilizing drugs. And what they then do, they, they dart the animal, animal goes down, and they take their axes and pangas. Remember, there's a piece like that inside the skull. So they cut the whole face off. They chop the whole face off and leave them. Leave that animal. And that animal wakes up without a face. I've seen it. We followed one that we could smell the animal before we could see it. It was rotting, alive. They can't drink, they can't eat. Now, Dr. Johan Marais, he was, uh, he's a, 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 the equine surgeon, he's a, a, he, our very first rhino we ever got. I got a phone call and this lady said, good morning. Are you so-and-so? We were still building the rhino orphanage. I said, Mr. Oppenheimer would like to speak to you. Now, you don't know who Mr. Oppenheimer is. The Oppenheimer family, they used to be the third richest family in the world. They owned Anglo-American. They produced 73% of the world's gold through free world's gold and 86% of the free world's diamonds. Oppenheimer's. And I said to her, yes, and I'm the Pope. You know, why the hell would the Oppenheimer want to talk to me? And he came on, Ernest Oppenheimer, and very nice. And he said, they've got this calf, they've got a, a reserve called Tualo, it's 80,000 hectares. And they found this little calf, black rhino calf, walking on Tualo with a prolapse rectum. So they got a vet in and they put it back, put a suture around it, and it kept coming out as the stuff, and he said, can he bring them? Can, can he organize that they bring the little baby to us? And I said, yeah, it's fine, bring. So, yeah, we were still building. So, Tualo lived in the house. It was chaos. It was freaking, it was actually so, so much fun. It was so wonderful. But he's, every time the rectum started, you know, came out again. And then eventually we took him to, uh, to the medical, uh, to the veterinary faculty there, to the uh, veterinary hospital. And that was the first rhino Johan Mare ever touched in his life. Tuala, yeah. When we got there, he was in charge, and that's the first time I ever saw him. And uh, yeah, Tuala was—it uh, was actually fantastic.
So I took her through, my wife went through, Gabby went, this whole story, and we looked after Twalo there, and that was how, that's where Johan Maré lost his heart on rhinos. Mm. So what he does, he started an organization called Saving the Survivors. Ah. It does reconstructive surgery on their faces. And it's pretty effective, like recent yes. yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Certain, some of them you have to euthanize, it's too deep, you can't. Uh, but yeah, some then and, and he's, he's 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 a wonderful guy. The so I showed you yeah. yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's him. Yeah, yeah. over thirty different surgeries on one round. Yeah, no, they and and, and it, it it's just Twala was just and and the, and the funniest thing about him was we had this meeting and there were about nine or ten freaking vets around the table and they were all professors and this and that and that and that. And they all said, no, we have to do surgery, surgery, surgery. And Johan said, just hang on. And he found a guy who was a, uh, a human pediatric uh, surgeon. And he specializes in babies. Human babies get it as well. Like it, yeah. And he came and he uh, had a look at Swallow and he said, no, just keep putting it back. One day it will stay there. And it did. Wow. It did. Yeah, but every time he defecated, everybody went, oh, and then, ah, that's it's still there. It's, and, and it stayed. And he was, but he was a legend. He was, I mean, they he were, now? Huh? He's big. He's out in the, in the big lot in, 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 in Swala. Oh, I guess you say he's in the back. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, he's a, and uh, he was, uh, it was just, because they didn't have really, the facilities to keep him. Uh, so he went wherever he wanted. So at the end of the day, when we was dis discharged from hospital, I went to go and pay the bill, and there were two bills. The one was the medical one, and the other one was the damage bill. <laughs> and the damage bill were freaking a lot higher than the medical bill because he just walked. He, we, old Professor Tony Shakespeare told me the story. He was lecturing. Now they got these big lecture halls there, and Swallow, everybody knew him, because he just walked around wherever he wanted. He went into the cafeterias and he went everywhere, because nobody could. And, and he said he was busy lecturing, and the door, the lecture hall, that big double door that was closed, just burst open, and he came in, in the lecture hall, looked around, said hi, and walked out the other one that was also closed. So. You know, that was, but, yeah. but everybody just loved him. It was, for us, it was just a, a, a hectic ride of everything we saw, everything that happened. Um, we started this totally by accident. Totally. Because when the poaching in South Africa went through the roof. You can ask them. Every newspaper, every time the TV came on news, so many rhinos were shot that day and so many now and so many there and so many there. We got a phone call one morning. Uh, one of my next door neighbors phoned me. He's, he had a cup, quite a few rhinos. And he said to me, their shots, it was early, it was around quarter past five in the morning. And they said there were shots fired on his farm. He doesn't know what is going on. Please, can we come and help? And I said, okay. And I found the chopper pilot. 
I said, come. I said, come and pick me up. Let's go. So we flew around there. We found there was about a rhino cow shot about 400 meters from his house. Then we found another rhino cow shot with a three-month-old baby that they also killed. I don't know why, because they don't kill. Yeah, they killed the baby as well. But to cut a long story short, we found all these rhinos. And, but the, 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 the first cow had a seven-month-old calf. And that calf was running around on the farm now without a mother. And he said to me, uh, where can you take this calf? And I said, I've got no idea. It must be dozens of places. And I literally went back, walked into the office, and I started phoning. And everybody said, no, no, there's no place. And I eventually got through to Endangered Wildlife Trust to a woman by the name of Christy. And Christy said to me, listen, uh, we've been having meetings for the part, past 18 months on where to build it, who's going to pay for it, where it must, what it must look like, and all these things. And I've got a very big mouth. So on the phone, I just said, I don't know why. I said to her, don't worry, stop worrying, I'll build one. Put the phone down. I mean, I, if you want to irritate the hell out of me, uh, have meetings and discussions and things. I believe in Nike, just do it. If you decide to do it, you do it. And I put the phone on and I thought to myself, what the hell did you do now? And I found a friend of mine, he's a Yorkshireman. He's now back in England, but he's a marketing fundy. And I said to him, listen, we're going to build the world's first rhino orphanage. You're going to help me get the money. And he said, yes. And that's basically how it started. We didn't. And I thought it's going to be the easiest thing in the world. Because, I mean, how politically correct is it? Baby rhinos, mothers were killed. It was a hell of a ride. It was so, it's so difficult to sell a dream. Once there's something, then it's easy. Not easy, but it's easier. And I, I'll never forget and they, New Holland, were the first people that bought the story. And they gave me a tractor, so I had a tractor. Well, that's it. Oh, yeah, Nothing. A, a yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it. And uh, I got all the people in to design it and what it had to look like and the whole story. And then we did our arithmetic and say it's going to cost so much. And I thought, ah, oh, it's going to be easy. Jeez. <laughs> it, was, it was scary. It was absolutely scary. Because what basically happened was we, uh, we couldn't get the money. And then uh, peop, uh, people in Joburg organized a big fundraising function there for us and said, you know, it's... Uh, all the rich and famous are going to be there and you're going to walk away with zillions and zillions and we walked away with nothing after a massive presentation everything and i walked into my office and i said to my wife you know what this thing is not going to work it's not going to work we might as well forget it we'll never get the money it won't work. And she said, but before you say that, there are people in the Boma tonight, in the White Line Boma, that are having a braai, a barbecue. There's a lot of guys. And I said, they want to hear the story. And I said, who are they? She said, I've got no idea. All she knows is that they're on a golf tour. Where was this? Down at the bottom. Oh, okay. 
They're on a golf tour. And I said, huh, golf tour? Nine o'clock at night on a golf tour. I play golf. I know what they look like <laughs> on a golf tour, nine o'clock at night. And to cut the lot, she forced me. I didn't want to go. She forced me. I walked in there. There were 32 guys sitting around there. And they would just finish their dinner, and I did my presentation, and half of them were pickled really well. And uh, as I said, thank you, and started to walk out, one guy got up, and he said, I'm so-and-so, I am the CEO of Pretoria Portland Cement, which is the biggest cement company in South Africa. I'll give you so many bags of cement. And the guy next to him got up, and he looked at him and he said to him, you're a Mickey Mouse. I'm the CEO of Lafarge Cement, I'll double that. All 32 were big boys in the construction industry. Wow. <laughs> the whole thing. I still get so emotional. Yeah. I walked out that night with everything to build the whole place. So it shows you, never give up. Never give up. So that's how it all started. So it all started by absolutely by accident, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 we just got it. And once once we got the thing going, and they were little babies, then it was much easier. I mean, I had the the, the big boss of Lafarge Cement was a lady Maria Gonzalez, something something Portuguese, like oh, but very fancy. So they said she wants to come and visit. So Maria. I stopped with her with this freaking fancy car and it was thick sand <laughs> and she had this I don't know what freaking little suit on Prada or whatever <laughs> they freaking the devil wears Prada that's all I know and she had these high heeled shoes very fancy woman she was walking in the sand and we had a little baby that was about a week two weeks old oh, wow. it was in the winter and this little one walked out of the old ICU with a pink blanket over it over her, and she walked straight up to this woman. Poof, gone. She collapsed in the sand, she hugged the baby, and every freaking bag of cement the fire sold, we got a cut. And, and you know, so it works. It, 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 it was the same with, with uh, there was, I met a lady at a function. She, I know she was from First National Bank, because it's difficult, money is difficult. To get uh, money is very difficult. And she said she wants to have a look, and I took her there, and she had I don't know what she does at the bank. No idea. Then two weeks later, she phones me and says, can you present to the board of First National Bank? Uh, they are thinking of, you know, giving you some, some money. And I said to her, yeah, but by the way, what the hell do you do there? She says, I'm the CEO. <laughs> so, oh, <wow>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, I mean, a bank has only got furniture and money, and we didn't need furniture. So they, they gave us quite a bit of money that helped a lot to get everything off the ground. And now, I mean, we've survived. Every time you think it is... Uh, when you need something, it just happens. It's like with the cars, with BMW and those things. I mean, I, I contacted every motor manufacturer literally almost in the world. There's only one that I never contacted, and it was BMW. And they found me. I said, because what happened, their CEO played golf at Sun City. 
He walked off the 18th green and he said, oops, he forgot his wallet in the hotel room in the safe. And he said to the guys, now Gary Play Country Club's clubhouse is a little garden and then you get the cascades next to it. So he walked through this little garden and he walked into his room. And he said he doesn't know why. It was Sunday afternoon he, he switched the TV on. And the Wild Ones was on. And there was a program on the, on the orphanage. And he said he sat on his bed and watched. And Monday he walked into his office and got a hold of the marketing people and said, listen, get hold of these people. Now, Tim is now on the board. I've got him on the board of the orphanage. He's, a, he's now, he's left BMW. He was the big boss of BMW Southern Africa. He, was he now runs Ineos Automotive, which they're building this new Ineos Grenadier. I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. No, yeah, I'm waiting for mine. Are you getting one? Oh, yes. Nice. Benji, the, Benji was the last rhino to come up from the bottom. And, and what did he drive in? Ineos Grenadier. Yeah. On film, from the minute they loaded him, all the way, they filmed it with a drone, inside, anything. So I'm, I wasn't born yesterday. So they owe me. Heavy. So yeah, no, we'll get one. Some but we've also got a thing with Ineos that they, when you order an Ineos Grenadier, you've got a choice of three colors for the chassis. God knows why. Black, red, and rhino gray. If, if they pick rhino gray, then we get a couple of bucks for everyone. That which is also nice. Yeah, we'll see how it pans out. I know these guys, the guy in Australia, well, Tim in, in Africa said, figure now, we're going to push. And guy in Australia said to me, don't worry, I'm going to make sure there's no red and black paint available in, so in, in ah. Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. It, it's uh, That's very cool that people are coming together. Yeah, the thing is, once you've, once you've done something and you've done it, you, they, they, they actually, when you need it most, then they come through. Then you, then you, weird things happen. The weirdest things that you can ever think of happen. And yeah. Well, you believe. Yeah, you must just believe in what you do. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I lease this whole property that you can see your eyes on 5,000 hectares for one rand a month. I just played for 10 years, 120 rand for 10 years. I mean, that's ridiculous. Did you see Anessa? Well, that's what's amazing about But that's why there's people with good hearts out the there. Thing. And they, is the, is they the, the angels. You know, that's the thing is, you know, you know there are still good people in the world. Eh? Oh, yeah. You look at the conservation and you look like we started the conversation or I started the conversation about the corruption and how much money is involved in this and the black, mar the, um, the black market trade. But then along with um, all the the big people that are involved, people in government, vets, but then there are people like this that have these huge hearts that are willing to help and that is what makes the difference on the rhino conservation. And I've always, I've always, I've always had the rule, because I get phone calls and people would say, uh, can we bring our CEO to the rhino orphanage, you know, our company wants to look at maybe sponsoring and things like that. And I always got one rule. Okay, who is it? Is it is he male or female? If it's male, on one condition, is bring his wife with. 
You have to have it because it works like a charm. Because uh, okay. the motherly instinct kicks in. Okay. I see these little babies and they all just go to their husbands and say, okay, how much are you going to give these people? <laughs> works. <laughs> works. Well, I've had... And, and I've had them that they phone me and says, oh, my wife can't make it. Can I bring my daughter? And I said, yeah, sure. It's the same so, way. It's, it's actually worse. It's actually The thing is, yeah, you can, it, it, it is, it is difficult. You must remember, money raising, doesn't matter what, the big bucks of this world's in America. They can say what they like, that's where the big bucks is. The, the Yanks have got the money. And the Yanks have give easier than other people. They do. So if in our fundraising drives and stuff, we most most of the time we uh, our biggest money come from America. Now we've got their people that's really now they they've got the money, but the problem is there's a lot of fly-by-nights in this whole story that they use the Rhino situation. To raise money for themselves. Yeah, they put it in their back pockets. That's the problem. That happens a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Now, why is the is the power off? Okay, shit. All right. So they can. Thank you, No, no, no. We'll. Hi guys, we're back. Um, I hope you guys found that as insightful and as interesting as we did, because you know, having been in the industry for almost twelve years. He spoke about stuff there that I didn't, I didn't even know. Um, so that was absolutely amazing, and it was incredible to just hear his knowledge on the on the crisis itself. And I think it's really important that we spread that message far and wide. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, that's why we're sharing this interview. And uh, now we're going to hand over to Larise, who is one of the staff members at the Round Orphanage. She works full time there, and she is a badass woman yeah, who she's... works really hard for these rhinos and it was super super inspiring to meet her as well you know just as Ari is doing she is also dedicating her life to to these rhinos and, and taking care of these babies so I'm gonna hand over to her and she will tell you guys a little bit about how you can help the rhino orphanage if you want to help uh, she will tell you more about that yeah, I think it was it was incredible to see and also just from like a woman empowerment point of view I mean this this orphanage was run by just women so that was pretty cool um, to see from my side and like like you mentioned they were badass women they were yeah. literally dealing with the amount dealing with these rhino and you know a rhino is a heavy animal and they can like, hurt it, you it's a it's an animal that can like even those little those little calves, they're 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 already a hundred, hundred and twenty kilograms. They they could do some damage and these girls go in there and they know exactly what they're doing. It it was incredibly inspiring to see what they could do. And you know, they along with the rhinos need as much help as they can get. And um so like Carolina said, we're gonna hand over to Larice. Uh, she's gonna tell you about how you can help, um, where you can donate if you want to donate and yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, the insightful interviews we've had and uh, we'll see you guys 
in a couple of weeks. So if people want to help you guys and maybe donate money or other ways that mm -hmm. they can help, what can they do and where can they go? What I would recommend is you going to the Rhino Orphanage website, which is www.rhinoorphanage.co.za. Um, and on our page, we've got a donate button that you can just go on to the link. And in that area, we've got different sections that you can donate. You can either donate towards their, their food, their milk supplies, their, their dry food, their grass, um, or you can actually donate um, an individual rhino per month or sponsor a rhino per month or per year um, as you wish. So there's different options that you can actually donate towards um, the, the rhinos here at the orphanage. Um, then we also have a wish list on our website um, that we list certain items that we um, would like to receive, whether it be um, milk supplies or just to help us with the food drive and those kind of things. So we do have specific items that we require um, during different times of the year. So that information is also on the website. And can people then buy like those specific things for you guys or like donate specifically for that? They're like, okay, you guys need this specific medicine or mm. what it might be yeah okay let me buy that yeah yeah so on the on the website as well uh, under the donate button there's there's different things you can either sponsor medical supplies um, or you can sponsor food so that would be uh, the dry food the pellets um, the milk um, there's also things for um, like the medical supplies like um, the probiotics that we use um, the medicine that we use um, if we've got in, injured rhinos or things like that. Um, so we've got different sections that you can donate things towards. Okay, um, awesome. And anything else that people can do if, for example, they don't have the money to donate mm. or, you know, but at the same time, I can imagine even if you don't have a lot to donate, yeah. you know, every little bit mm, counts. Yeah. But uh, anything else that they can do, that, like not money orientated? Mm. For that, um, what we do is if you can just follow the, the even the social media pages of the Rhino Orphanage um, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, I mean, then you can just even if you just share the posts um, that obviously helps us with exposure. We can reach more people out there. Um, and, you know, if you don't have the money, maybe one of your friends or someone with a colleague or someone as a business might have that kind of funding available to help us in something like that. And like you said, every little bit helps. Um, I mean, even if you donate 10 Rand, $10, I mean, if you've got 50 people donating that small amount, it eventually adds up. So um, every little bit helps, so. Awesome. <laughs> uh, and then I was thinking, maybe we can mention something about the volunteer program as well. Oh yes, okay, yeah. Um, then another thing you can do as well is we have a volunteering program um, that we run through ACE, um, African Conservation Experiences, um, that we um, allow volunteers to come and work with us, work alongside the team um, with the rhinos. Um, you get to experience um, feeding them, what we do on a daily basis, cleaning, husbandry, basic husbandry of their rhinos, um, what we do to protect them, um, Kind of what me and Craig got to experience. Yes, yes, yeah. So it's basic um, what you would expect at a normal animal shelter kind of thing. Is there's always going to be cleaning of bomas and cleaning up behind the little ones and those kind of things. So we, um, yeah, if you you want to visit the um, ACE website and they can also refer you to the Rhino Orphanage. That's awesome. Uh, 
um, yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs>